This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new episode of Mercado and Manning, Media Week's weekly television podcast. Andrew Mercado, welcome back. It's a um, Hi, interesting time of the year for television. There's a few major reality franchises are finished and a few more are starting up. What have you been watching? Well, you know, we've had the finales for Big Brother and Ninja Warrior and MasterChef. So now we're in a whole new cycle of new shows. So this weekend in Australia, we'll see Beauty and the Geek back on nine. Uh, Seven obviously have something up their sleeve because they're doing two nights of the best, the very best of the best and worst of Red Faces, which is yet another hey, hey, it's Saturday, ridiculously titled Nostalgia Special. But look, the one I think that's really exciting is the brand new entry into the reality genre, and it's Hunted on 10. It's based on a UK format that's been running over in the UK since about 2015. And I've watched the first episode, and wow, James, it is great. This is sort of like the amazing race, but they're fugitives, and you've got a control room with uh, uh, police and psychologists and they've got helicopters in the sky and crews on the ground and they're tracking people's social media profiles to see where they might be, what friends they might be hanging out with. And if somebody buys a Mikey card on the rail, they go and track it down and find out where they're going to. Uh, I just thought the first episode was terrific and I think and I hope that this will be a big hit for 10. That sounds intriguing, doesn't it? I think it's made by Endemol Shine Australia for 10. Um, I haven't been able to watch the preview, so I'm I'm happy to go on your recommendation and I look forward to seeing it. So uh, are, are there celebrities in this? No, no. It's really well cast. There's teams of two. So sometimes you have school friends. Uh, sometimes there's there's two girls from the Gold Coast that feature heavily in the first episode. Uh, there's these two guys that I just love. Uh, well, as soon as they get undercover after they're released, one of the guys is a hairdresser and a makeup artist, and the first thing he does is pull a clipper out of his bag shave off all his facial hair and he puts a wig on his head so that he changes his appearance and his best friend is a copper so he knows how the police are going to be tracking him but he deliberately shit stirs them and throws out fake clues to throw them off and of course the guy in the control room realizes this and he says wow now he's really pissed me off ah it's just great this cat and mouse game i found the first 90 minute premiere really exciting i was on the edge of my seat watching it oh that's good that's that's good um It'd be good if um, Tank could have another um, another bit of a hit after I think um, reasonably happy with how MasterChef Australia performed for them uh, this year. So it'd be good to follow up with that one. Um, yeah. Now, the interestingly, now Miriam Margulies is a uh, is Margulies Margulies Miriam Margulies Margulies um, Australia Unmasked. Now, is this season two? Yeah, so she did one once before where she drives around in her little minivan and and now she's doing it again. It's called Australia Unmasked. 
It begins on ABC on Tuesday night and her first episode is in Tasmania. And wow, she covers a lot of ground in the Garden State. Uh, she goes to have dinner with Jackie Lambie and Jackie Lambie reveals at the end of the roast, oh, by the way, you're eating wallaby roadkill, um, which is pretty funny. Just drag a dead wallaby off the side of the road in Tassie and slow roast it. Quite delicious. Uh, I've tasted one of those. And, yeah, if they're fresh, it's delicious. Um, and then she uh, meets a group of Indigenous people at a place called uh, Cape Grim or Cape Fear, not Cape Fear, that's the movie, but she goes to this uh, place and is told by the local Indigenous people that this is a site where uh, a bunch of white settlers back in the day drove Indigenous people off the cliff to their death. Uh, so that's uh, a really disturbing moment. She also meets a group of uh, adults who are learning to read and write because she is shocked, and so was I, to hear that 50% of Tasmanians are functionally illiterate. And when she talks to these people and finds out their backgrounds about why they were never taught to read and write, it's really heartbreaking stuff. I actually shed a tear during that part. And then the show ends with her in her little uh, mobility scooter going in her first ever Pride March. We know that Miriam Margulies is a lesbian, but she's not one to go out there and wave a rainbow flag. So to see her in her first gay Pride March in a town in Tasmania that used to be its most homophobic, it's just fantastic. So I'm going to be watching that show every episode. Miriam Margulies, uh, unmasked, Australia Unmasked, it gets a huge thumbs up from me. The, um, I'm just checking the press kit. They say the the last series was actually called Miriam Margulies Almost Australian. Yeah. And so this this they're calling this the a world premiere. Yeah. So her her theme for this one is she everywhere she goes she asks people is Australia still the land where you can have a fair go? Right. She's trying to find out if everybody can have a fair go. That's her theme through it. And, uh, yeah, she has some really interesting conversations based around that. Okay. Now, I think it was it last year or was it, it was probably might have been two years ago now, we actually did a podcast on the, about the first series of Aftertaste. Yep. Um, yep. With Eric Thompson and the creator, whose name escapes me at the moment. But um, And now, uh, the, finally, that's uh, back for a second season. Yes, yeah, so Series 2 of Aftertaste begins on the ABC next Wednesday. They're going to have all episodes to binge on iView the same night. I've seen the first episode of Series 2 and it is laugh out loud hilarious. There's a wedding. It all goes horribly wrong. The main cast is still there. Eric Thompson, Natalie Abbott, Rachel Griffiths. Uh, and in the episode, you've got Wayne Blair and Susan Pryor as the couple getting married. And it is really, really funny. And it sets up a whole new situation uh, where this dysfunctional family is forced to work with each other to settle their differences. You know, this show is really brittle and about a very dysfunctional family. Uh, and it's, and it, you know, borders on the line of nasty, but, you know, I think it's terrific. And, uh, yeah, well done for Aftertaste for coming back with such a strong second season. Yeah, I think Matthew Bate was the, um, was the other person on our podcast, I think, is the credited as a series 
creator, a co-producer and a writer. Um, you know, I think that that first season did really well for the ABC. And that's as you as you uh, described there, it's a great little cast. And I think they filmed it just out of Adelaide, didn't they? Yeah, they do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, you've also been watching Ghosts uh, coming. It's a US, is it a, a drama coming to no, TV? It's- it's a sitcom. There was a BBC sitcom of the same name and the Americans snapped it up and remade it. Uh, it airs on CBS in America. But I've been watching all the episodes streaming on Paramount+. Plus, and I just saw it there one night and thought, oh, this looks cute. And it's one of my go-tos if I need to watch something happy before I go to sleep at night. So basically it's about a young couple who move into this country mansion and the girl can see and hear a whole bunch of ghosts on the property, but the husband can't. Uh, so you can imagine the uh, type of hijinks they get into and she's always trying to help the ghosts. They always have some crazy request, like they need her to tell her what channel to switch the TV onto uh, and it's quite funny seeing one of the guys who's a Viking watching some really cheesy reality show and they're like are you crying and he's like no no I'm not crying I, I have something stuck in my eye it's really really funny stuff so I've never seen the British version of Ghost that it's based on all I've seen is the American one uh, I reckon they've done a great job of it some people will obviously prefer the original but uh, I'd advise people People to check out both of them or one of them, uh, but it's going to be screening on Channel Ten on Wednesday nights at eight thirty PM. Yeah, I think there were three seasons of the uh, UK one, and so far they've pumped out eighteen episodes of the US uh, remake. So was it available first here on Paramount Plus, and now it's going to be on? Correct. Yes. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. So they're swapping content between the two. Uh, the free-to-air channel and their streaming platform, yes? Yeah, and you're seeing things premiere first on Paramount+. Plus. We've seen that happen with five bedrooms uh, and, you know, there was a Madonna concert that was on Paramount+, Plus, and then I noticed it going to MTV. So Paramount+, Plus definitely has uh, the first look. We've got a bit of a Network 10 theme or a Channel 10 theme uh, happening, so let's keep it going. Um, Sean McHale of Brain S. Deadford. Now, recently announced he's not going, he's going, he's what, he's got one more series with the ABC, um, but before he stops doing that? Yeah, he has said that uh, mad as hell. He wants to hand the reins over to a younger comedian to take on that show. So it looks like this is the final season we're getting of mad as hell in its current format. Uh, Channel 10 uh, are screening Sean McAuliffe's Brain is Deadford at 7.30, so you can then switch the channel uh, at 8.30 to watch Sean McAuliffe's Mad as Hell. But I tell you what, I think it's a mistake to put those two shows in such close comparison to each other because we know that Mad as Hell is funny as hell and at 30 minutes it's really funny and pacey. And the problem for me with Brain is Deadford, James, is that it goes for an hour and it's not a one-hour show. This is basically university challenge or it's academic three students being asked questions by Sean McAuliffe and honestly at one hour it's really starting to drag and it's made me wonder James what has ever happened to commercial networks in Australia 
pairing up two half-hour TV shows in a one-hour slot. They don't do it anymore. Everything's got to be one hour or 90 minutes long. So, you know, we saw our 10 made Would I Lie to You Australia. In the UK, it's a 30-minute show. Here in Australia, they dragged it out to 60 minutes. And what's unusual for me is that I noticed on 10's pilot showcase, every single one of those pilots is 30 minutes long. But where is Channel 10 screening two 30-minute shows together in a time slot? Everything they want to run is an hour long. So I'm not quite sure what the thinking around that is, but Brain is Dead for me really did not have a broad appeal and I don't know if it's going to fire. Yeah, look, that format uh, would be um, a gamble at 7.30 if you didn't have Sean McAuliffe. It's maybe still a little bit of a gamble with him as well, but I think if anybody could pull it off, he could, I guess. um, Half an hour versus an hour, I guess it's cheaper to make one 60-minute show than two 30-minute programs, so I'm, I'm guessing that's one of the reasons behind why they do that. And it's been made by Loon Media, which is a Leonie Lowe's production company. And, look, they've done some good work in the past. So, you know, it's, it's another reason I, I think it, it, might, um, it might find a bit of an audience. And, um, you know, the, the, you've got to think about the total TV audiences these days as, you know, the overnight numbers for live viewing aren't as critical as they once were. So maybe that'll be another another thing that might help this show um, settle and they might give it time to find an audience and um, build up a bit of a following. Yeah, well, um, the students in it are from year 11. Uh, Michaela uh, has said that he hopes that this is a show the whole family can watch. And, I mean, it is a show that the whole family can watch. But, honestly, when they got into the questions about math, and we're doing mathematical formulas, I was just going, oh, I don't even care what the answer to this question is. I stopped doing maths when I left high school years ago. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky one. It didn't appeal to me. It'll be interesting to see whether or not it uh, picks up a bigger audience. Okay. Now, you've been a long-time Corrie fan. What's happening, yeah. what's happening with Coronation Street? Coronation Street has popped up on 7-2 and 7-play. It's also there with Emmerdale, another long-running UK soap. And, you know, I think it's really weird because these episodes are about three years old and I just don't know what Corrie fans are out there. If you're a true Coronation Street fan, you're watching the show Fast Track from the UK on Foxtel, Binge or BritBox. I don't think that anybody wants to re-watch it three Week, three years later. I just don't think so. It's too current. What I would have suggested to Seven, and it might have been cheaper for them to buy this, is to do what ITV3 do and screen classic Corrie episodes and take episodes from the 80s. Some of the, the you know, that's what the fans would like to sit down and re-watch. So Corrie is there on 7-2. Sure, there'll be a few people in free-to-air TV that might think I might start watching this, but, yeah, I reckon it's going to have a really limited audience because uh, no-one wants to watch a soap when it's three years old. Yeah, I think it was on 7-2 a long time ago um, The um, before it dropped off in about 2014, if I, um, if I remember my uh, TV Tonight story from the back in the day. Uh-huh. 
So um, Coronation Street is the world's longest running soap and it has had a very checkered history on free-to-air TV here in Australia. It used to air on Channel 9 back yeah. in the 60s and then through the 70s each nine network around Australia moved the time slot, dropped it, it went, it came back, it disappeared. Uh, in the end it was really left to UK TV on Foxtel to say, we're going to take this show and we're going to get up to speed and keep in line with the UK. So that's where the audience has gone to watch it. Uh, and I just don't think you can have it off air for eight years, as you're saying, and then just bring it back and say, oh, look, it's back, five o'clock on weeknights. I just don't think anyone's going to watch it. So it's still on UK TV. And are they current? Are they up to date? Yeah, yeah. fast tracked. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And Britbox. Oh, right, right. Okay. Okay. Alrighty. Look, I've been watching a few things. Um, I'll start with Blackbird, which is um, new on Apple TV Plus. I think the first two episodes went up uh, a week before we record this. I'm waiting for the third episode, which will drop uh, a day after we record this. The stars are Taron Egerton, who most people will remember recently playing uh, Elton John in the movie Rocket Man. Oh yeah. He plays a sort of a sort of a glamorous high school football star who became a drug dealer, and um, there's not a lot of backstory at the start of it. But you, it's, and his his character is not really fully developed, and that might you might learn more about him as the series progresses. But he and he gets busted. He gets he gets caught by the the, the cops for dealing, and. He looks like he might get a reasonably light sentence, but they also find some firearms, some sort of um, semi-automatic weapons, and that compels the judge to give him a, a, a higher sentence. It's a little bit ironic, isn't it, in the, the US that you can actually get busted for oh. firearms and go to jail. But um, yeah. <laughs> there you go. And so he gets he gets 10 years. Um, the The... Rest of the cast. Now, this is notable, this series, also for the final performance from uh, Ray Liotta. Oh, who yeah. Who actually plays um, Taron Egerton's father in this. Um, and it's a, it's a great performance from him. And I heard an interview the other day. They Someone asked Taron Egerton if, um, how was Ray Liotta's health when he was making this? And he said, look, he, he, he didn't seem to have any problems. He looked okay. Um, I mean, he yeah. is old. I mean, you look at him, the character he plays in this, he he does look very elderly, but, you know, there's no signs that he, this might be his, his final role at all. And Greg Kinnear also is this sort of investigating detective in this, and it's a great part he's got because there's, there's flashbacks from um, the central crime that's part of this, which... Taron Edgerton becomes linked to. There's flashbacks to that, and you see how Greg Kinnear was very persistent as a detective, and sort of led to sort of him cracking the case or thinking he'd cracked the case. So anyway, Taron Edgerton gets ten years, gets sent to jail, but he gets a he has a chance of a reprieve. The um, FBI approaches him and says, "Look, if you could help us investigate another case." we would commute your sentence. So yeah. what happens, he gets transferred to another jail and he has to work, he has to get close to someone in there and find out some information about a case that they didn't fully solve. So if he can get that information and he will get out. So that's where I'm at. He gets, he gets transferred into the other prison and we get to see 
how this will um what will happen and i've i've become a bit addicted i must say i'm i'm really keen to find out what happens to this look it's not without its problems it's um it's a bit it's a bit corny and with a lot of us series it, there's not a lot of layers. It doesn't seem to be a lot of depth to some of the characters. But look, maybe that will come. So I don't want to dismiss that too much. But even yeah. if it doesn't happen, I'm I'm still keen to find out what happens. So I'll definitely keep watching that one. That's on Apple TV Plus, and the episodes are being uh, released weekly. And just six episodes too. Yeah, that's right. So it's it's not going to go forever, and we'll we'll find out what happens. I think it's based on an actual case as well. So that's yeah. sort of another element. Uh, something else I've watched, I've watched all three episodes of this one. It's on uh, Fox Docs. I think that's Foxtel's relatively new um, documentary strand. It's called Trump Unprecedented. Oh, yeah. I've started seeing uh, newspaper ads in Australia for this today because it's actually, they're actually streaming it on Flash, which is the news app, which, uh, you know, Needs a bit of love, I think. So yeah, this Trump series is is being advertised as a as a flat. You can watch it on Flash. Yeah, the, the, it's from a British filmmaker, Alex Holder, and the big attraction is, I guess, the access he got to the Trump family. He yeah. has he has detailed interviews with all members of the or significant members of the Trump family. I guess so. There's Donald Trump. I think he interviewed him twice, although. One stage, Donald says, oh, look, I've done three or four interviews. How many more do you need? Um, <laughs> he also speaks with Don Jr., um, Eric Trump and Ivanka, and also Ivanka's husband, uh, Jared, I think it's Jared Kushner, yeah, uh, yeah. his name. So that's interesting. But, you know, there's not, apart from that, there's not a lot of revelations, you know. It's, it's good seeing them in some depth and, you know, it's sort of, if you had sort of preconceptions about the Trumps, or you either think they're great or you think they're, you know, wow, they're, they're dangerous people to be let running a country, those sort of um, conceptions will be reinforced by this this film, I think. Um, the the other thing is he, he had his, um, Alex Holder had his cameras at that sort of January 6th insurrection, if you like, when those mobs sort of tried to get into the um, Congress. Yeah. That's interesting too, but apart from that, there's no big revelations. Uh, revelations, and it's interesting. The Hollywood Reporter really gave this a pasting. Said, "Was look, wow, you know, this is just there's there's this isn't worth your time. You know, there's yeah. nothing revealed here, and I can see what they were getting at. So there's there's really nothing new, and it does give the Trumps pretty much free reign. There's quite a few academics get to talk as well, and um, a few journalists." And that's sort of their insights are interesting too. But for me, the, the sort of attraction was these in-depth interviews with the, the Trump family. One telling thing is when it came to talking about January 6, Donald Trump went on the record and said a few things about it. But all the children, um, Don Jr., Eric and Ivanka, all said, no, nah, look, we don't want to talk about that. They skipped over it in the interviews. Yeah, of course. Because they're hoping one day they can be president. They're trying to keep their grubby fingers out of it and pretend they had nothing to do with it. They were innocent bystanders. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I've, I've seen an interview with um, Alex Holder on um, one of the CBS Current Affairs shows, which you, if you Google that will pop up in your feed. It's um, He was asked about 
does he have a view that he thinks Trump will run again? And it was interesting. He said, look, you don't really learn much whether you think he will or he won't, but he says Trump doesn't like being um, connected with failure and he thinks that maybe will will be a reason why Trump won't run again because he he couldn't really handle sort of getting rejected by the um, the US voters for a second consecutive time. So and oh, I, please, I please make that so. It's 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 so quiet and peaceful without him. <laughs> I couldn't bear all that kind of madness from him every day on, on Twitter. Um, and you know, I'm waiting. I'll watch the documentary if there's dirt to be dished. But I'm like you, I've read those reviews that say there's no revelations here. So there's no way I'm spending six hours, is it, uh, to watch the Trumps talking about themselves uh, unless there's some, there's some big payoff. Yeah, no, there's there's no real big payoff, you know. And, and I, I, someone, I mean, I was watching CNN the day of January 6th when they were trying to get into the, um, the, the, the Congress and... Yeah. You know, a lot of that footage isn't sort of revealing or new to me, and I've I followed that US election pretty closely. And the the series starts with sort of pre-election, then it covers the the actual um, couple of days before and the the election day itself, and then it jumps forward to the election aftermath and sort of Trump's refusal to sort of you know admit he lost and um, yeah. So yeah, there's 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 not a, a great lot there. So unless you really want to spend some time with the Trump family, you could probably give this one a um an avoidance. Pass. I'm passing. <laughs> now one other one, which won't be everybody's taste, but I'm a bit of you know I'm I'm a Top Gear fan from way back, and I quite like James May, one of the original trio. Now he's got a new series coming to Prime Video called Our Man in Italy. Now, I'm always a bit of a sucker for for Italian travel um, shows. And, look, there's been plenty of them. And you might groan and think, oh, not another show that's, you know, which shows us all the highlights of Italy. I've seen it a hundred times. Well, I did did go in thinking that, but I actually really enjoyed this first one. This, uh, I think they're an hour long. I think there's going to be six episodes. He starts off in uh, Sicily. And uh, I've been to Sicily and I found it really attractive, uh, found it really interesting. A lot of things I didn't know about Sicily. Um, his sort of, his sense of humour, he peppers that throughout the episode. And it's just, yeah, he, he's, the way he approaches it, I, I just really enjoyed it. So I think you've, if you've, you know, if you do like Italy and you're not really, you know, sort of washed out with with seeing too many shows about it. You could enjoy this one. Look, it's my favourites before this was Stanley Tucci has done two series on um, about cooking in Italy. They're both brilliant. They're on CNN, although I've yet to find out how to watch season two. It uh, doesn't seem to be on catch-up, and I'm not sure if CNN have actually ever broadcast that one yet in Australia. Maybe and- ask your wife, James, isn't she a big fan of Stanley Tucci's cooking shows? Oh, absolutely. She's gone and seen him live. So, um, yeah, she's a big fan. And, she, I mean, she's a big fan of Italy too, so she'll certainly be watching it. Uh, James May, our man in Italy. The other couple I've enjoyed in the past were Alex Polizzi. Um, remember the um, hotel inspector? She did a series on called Secret Italy back in 2014. I think there might have actually been two seasons. So they're actually brilliant as well. And uh, an Australian flavour too is... Uh, is it Sylvia Kalocka? Um, 
Yes, she's the wife of Richard Roxburgh. Yeah, now she did a series, I think, for SBS called Made, Made in Italy. That yep. was eight years ago, so I'm not sure if that's still up on SBS On Demand, but that's a cracker. She had a couple of subsequent ones about cooking Italian food, but they I don't think they were in actually Italy and they featured local celebrities and they weren't that great. But her original one, I think, made in Italy, that's well worth tracking down. So um, plenty. And also just quickly, uh, Joanna Lumley, I think, Great Cities of the World. She did. Yep. Episode, she had one of those episodes was on Rome. And that was correct. So she's doing out. the great cities and she's also doing in that Paris and Berlin. Yeah. Yeah. So there we're That's screening here on the ABC Sunday nights at 7.30 at the moment. Yeah. Um, just quickly, of before we uh, wind up this week, the I've been trying to catch up and watch a few things. I finally finished Chloe, which we talked about probably a month ago, um, a psychological thriller starring Erin uh, Aaron, Aaron, um, Doherty, who was in um, The Crown. Oh, yes, that's right, yes. That's great. That's uh, kept me watching the final. Look, final episode, I think I'm often let down in final episodes, partly because I'm expecting way too much, you know, but 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 it was good. It didn't disappoint me. I've, oh, finished, I've also finished The Undeclared uh, War. We talked about maybe last week or the week before with Simon Pegg, a sort of a, um, a thriller where sort of Russia... Um, cyber hacks into the UK and closes yeah. down the internet for, for a lot of UK citizens. That's well worth staying the journey for too. That's on Stan. Now, before I tell you about what I'm looking forward to, what do you want to finish up with? I just want to finish up with uh, breaking news about another reboot. Um, I don't know whether this will quite qualify as a retro pick of mine today, but the TV series Criminal Mind, which ran from 2006 to 2020, it's being rebooted just two years later. Can you believe it? It's going to be a Paramount Plus original now and all of the main cast are back. Joe Matagna, uh, Paige Brewster, Adam Rodriguez. Uh, so I guess it screened, I think it was a CBS drama and clearly they axed it after 14 years, but uh, now it's a Paramount Plus exclusive. So no doubt we'll see it here in Australia and a few months after that we'll see it on Channel 10. Okay. Um, sort of a bit of breaking news for my it's not all good for me. The, um, I was looking forward to some Jane Austen, um, a festival of Jane Austen. There's a great story in The Guardian recently uh, headlined Under the Bonnet, which I thought was very funny, and yeah. it tells about all the activity around Jane Austen. And one of the big deals is a um, movie coming to Netflix, um, a Jane Austen adaption. But the reviews have come out in the last day, so I'm going to have to watch it before I read those reviews, I think. <laughs> but the headlines haven't been great. Um, the the Los Angeles Times calls it Netflix's awful Jane Austen adaption. Um, Slate magazine calls, says Netflix's Jane Austen adaption is one of the worst movies in years. Wow. And, Time magazine says Netflix's persuasion shows trouble with adapting Jane Austen. Oh, gee. Everyone's Netflix really getting the boots sunk into it at the moment, isn't it? The share price starts dropping and everyone starts throwing bombs at them. Wow. Yeah, do they ever? And there's also a, a crime, a, um, 
a Scandi Noir uh, crime series on SBS On Demand called Trom, T-R-O-M. I've re been reading some good things about that, so I'll look out for watching that one too. Well, in some good news for Netflix Australia, they've just released uh, a cast shot of the new Heartbreak High. Awesome. Uh, that's coming out soon, so uh, I'm looking forward to that. Um, yeah, they're just teasing it at the moment. All right, Andrew, always good talking to you. You can read Andrew every week on Fridays in Media Week. His column this week, he talks about Hunted and a couple of the other shows we discussed today. Um, and you can like, if you could, if you could like the Media Week podcast or follow it, I think they now call that button on the Apple podcast app. That would be great. And you'll get advice about our new episodes. We're now weekly, of course. Andrew, we'll talk again soon. Have a great week, James.